You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's turn to the Old Testament to what is perhaps the most clear and most profound prophecy of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For this transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous judgment will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. We now turn to the New Testament to Mark chapter 15. We read there the account of the death of our Lord. Mark chapter 15 at verse 33. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up from him with him to Jerusalem were also there. Our text this morning, on this Good Friday morning, is Hebrews chapter 2, the verses 5 through 18. We'll pay special attention this morning to verses 9, 14, and 15. Those make up the, the verses that we'll deal with in the points of the sermon. It's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that was subject to him. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am in the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, guests, those who are watching over live feed on this Good Friday morning, it is a morning of ironies, this Good Friday morning. You would have picked up on this irony already in the song that we sang before the service began when we sang, He bore the weakness of our human frame, and He obedient unto death became, for on a cross He died in bitter shame. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He died on a cross in bitter shame, and we sing, Hallelujah. Praise God. 
You'll notice this irony throughout the liturgy this morning. We both praise God. And we sing sorrowful songs of suffering and death. Good Friday is the holiday, the holy day, when we mark and commemorate the death of Jesus Christ. The reason why it's on Friday is because it was the Friday of the Passover feast, the Jewish Passover feast, that the Lord Jesus Christ died, that he's crucified on the cross. Now, the death of Jesus Christ is not something that's that's glamorized or embellished by the gospel writers, by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those who who gave us the account of the death of Jesus Christ, as they recount his death, they are remarkably restrained in their detail, in, in speaking about it. They don't glory in this death. They don't glory in the gruesome details of it. And yet, even with this obvious restraint, you cannot help but get a strong sense of just how difficult and horrible this death was. Jesus was abandoned by friends and family. He was falsely accused, beaten, mocked, scorned, and killed with criminals on one of the cruelest execution inventions, uh, execution machines ever invented by mankind, a Roman crucifix. Even this short reflection, we'll get into some more details later, this short reflection on the events of that notorious Friday morning almost 2,000 years ago should make us pause to wonder if this is really what happened to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If He was really killed in this way, if He really hung on a cross a Roman crucifix in shame and dejection and rejection and abandonment, if this is really what it's all about, then why do we call this day good? Why do we call this day good? How could it possibly be good? Well, it is precisely because Jesus died that we call this day good. Good Friday is good because of Jesus' death. Because on the cross, He dined on death. Because on the cross, He defeated the devil. And because on the cross, He delivered the downtrodden. All those who were held in slavery of fear of death. Good Friday is good precisely because of Jesus' death. We see now in this first point that He dined there on the cross. In fact, throughout His whole life, He dined on death. He consumed it. He tasted it at every point. What's clear from the Gospels, as I already briefly mentioned, is that Jesus Christ thoroughly experienced death. He experienced death in a way more thorough than anyone else has ever experienced it. 
Because he was born into this world for the very purpose of death. And throughout his life, we don't know if at all times, but certainly for during the entire course of his ministry, he knew that death was coming. He repeatedly said that to his disciples, that he had come into this world to give his life, to die. He knew that each point, each thing that happened in his life was simply an event on the road to death, was simply pointing forward to that death. Everything was leading to his death. And he lived in the full knowledge, the full supernatural knowledge of that his entire life. None of us lives under that burden. Jesus had the experience of of knowing death was coming that was so strong and powerful that in the Garden of Gethsemane, He, the Son of God Himself, sweating out drops of blood, asked the, the Father if there was any other way to remove this burden from Him. Could it be done? Yet not my will be done, He prayed, but yours. And there was no other way. And so he went to death. His trial experience focused ultimately on his capital verdict, on the the verdict of, of execution, was arbitrary, was false, was wrong, was offensive, was long, was abusive, was demeaning. And it was all pointing, it was all working toward his death. His actual death experience as well was long and drawn out. The one feature that stands out for historians about the Roman crucifixion is how torturously long the process was. In the Middle Ages, they figured out some devious, terrible, painful ways of of killing people. But I don't know that any was as torturously long as crucifixion. The body wouldn't give way to fatal wounds in most cases, but first would give way to fatigue as the person had to prop themselves up on the crucifix where they were nailed with their their hands and their feet. They would have to hold up their body with their feet nailed into the cross. But they would give way to fatigue as they slowly bled to death and then ultimately to suffocation as their lungs could no longer bear up under the pressure that was on them from their whole body. It was a terrible process that would, in some cases, last three or four days. The fact that Jesus' crucifixion was relatively short simply shows us how difficult the process had been up to that point of being beaten by the soldiers, of being in anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane, in, in all the events leading up to his death. And on top of this all, King Jesus suffered on the cross what no human being could suffer in, in its completion, in its totality. He suffered the holy wrath of God against sin 
and rebellion. Jesus bore this in body and soul, and especially on the cross, He experienced the shame and anguish of hell itself, of the judgment of God. God removed Himself from Jesus in His blessing and was present only in His curse, in His wrath, and His judgment. Jesus bore that, not only the sins of one person, but sufficient to for the sins of all people. Jesus thoroughly experienced death. This experience is what the author of Hebrews is referring to when it says at the end of verse 9, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Now, that word taste is a little misleading, perhaps. When I first read it, I had the idea that, you know, taste as in take a nibble of, get a little bit of the experience of, and then leave it alone. We, we speak of taste in that way. If you're, if you're tasting a drink, you'll have a, a little sip of it, and then you might leave the rest. That's not what taste is talking about. If you have a taste of steak, you might try a little piece to see if it's done and then leave the rest. But here, tasted is, is talking about experience. It's talking about fully partook of the whole thing. It's not having a little nibble of the steak. It's having, it's devouring the whole thing and the potatoes and the corn beside. It's not having a little taste of that drink, but it's drinking down the whole cup. Indeed, the whole cup of God's wrath. As this death was not a steak dinner. Death is, is bitter. Death is painful. Death is hard. Jesus ate the bitter herbs of death. He devoured the rotting, stinking mess of death. He filled himself on the pain of loss, the shame of rejection. He experienced death in all its terrible bitterness. That's what it means that he tasted death for everyone. He didn't nibble on it. He gorged himself on it. And that's why Friday, this Friday is good. Jesus sat down to that deplorable feast of death so that we wouldn't have to. He feasted on pain and suffering And in doing so, He saved us from having to do the same. He consumed it for us. That's why in in what seems to be such an ironic statement here in verse 9, that's why it's by the grace of God. By the grace of God, He might taste death. He might devour death. He might experience it in all its bitterness. Yes, by the grace of God, He did this. Because He did it for us. sounds wrong until you understand who God's grace is being extended to. It's for all those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. Who know and believe that He has done this for them. In fact, because Jesus dined on death, we are afforded the opportunity to, to dine on all of God's heavenly and eternal blessings. 
He sat down to that terrible feast so that we might one day sit down to the most beautiful feast of all, the marriage feast of the Lamb. The feast in the new heavens and the new earth where we will dine with Jesus on all of God's blessings. You see that in verse 9. Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels in becoming a man, now crowned with glory and honor, and in verse 10, in bringing many sons to glory, Jesus went down to death so that He might bring us up to glory, to the right hand of God. When you align yourself with Jesus the King, the Messiah, with His suffering and death on your behalf, then not only has He tasted the bitterness and shame of death for you, but He gives you eternal, heavenly blessings. A foretaste now, but one day He promises the whole feast. This is good. This is why Good Friday is good. Because Jesus dined on death for us. It's also good because on the cross, Jesus defeated the devil. Through His death, Jesus defeated the power of the devil. Now this too is ironic. This would actually seem to be exactly the opposite of what happened on the cross. Would not the death of the Son of God in shame and rejection be a victory for the devil, for Satan? For it was the death of the first Son of God, of Adam... God's child that He made to live on the earth and experience all God's blessing. It was the death of Adam that was a victory for Satan. Genesis chapter 2 recounts the happenings in the Garden of Eden. It was there in the garden that God placed His first created human beings, Adam and Eve, who were in fact called God's children. And it was there that they committed spiritual and physical suicide by disobeying God. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree that God had said, do not eat from that. They ate from it in an attempt to be like God Himself. But it was, in fact, the serpent, the devil, who tempted them to do so. It was the serpent who rejoiced over their fall. It was the serpent who gained power through their fall. He was given the power of death to hold death over humanity, to conquer humanity through it. And we know from the Garden of Eden that this death of Adam and Eve was not merely a physical death, an end to physical existence. It was also and more profoundly a spiritual death, a cutting off from God, a removal from perfect harmony and peace with God. And all this physical and spiritual death leads to what is called eternal death. An eternal, conscious existence and experience of God's punishment. There's no doubt on that day that that Satan was successful in inciting the physical and spiritual death of Adam and Eve that he rejoiced. It was a major victory. 
Satan's end goal is to promote himself and his terrible kingdom and in doing so to rob whatever he can from God's glory and God's kingdom. And he did it on that day when he tempted Adam and Eve. And death has in many ways continued to be a weapon in the hands of Satan. He holds it over us. He uses it against us. He he terrifies us with it. Now, Satan does not have, nor has ever had, total control over death. When Adam and Eve were removed from the garden, it wasn't Satan who removed them, it was God. It wasn't Satan who ate the fruit, it was Adam and Eve. But it was Satan who incited it. And it was Satan whose stature grew when it happened. And following that first fateful sin, Satan has become the the prince of this world, as Jesus calls him. The, The one who rules who who seizes power, who steals, who usurps power wherever he can, wherever sin and death abound. And he uses it to conquer people. He uses it against them. He uses it to hold them down in darkness. And yet, even though Satan is the prince of this world and the one who rules and rejoices wherever sin and death abound, it was precisely through death through the death of Jesus for the sins of God's people that Jesus conquered Satan. This was in the first place because Jesus was just like us, a human being, a man, a person, just like us. He had the same flesh and blood. He was one of us. He came as our representative. And he was tempted just like we are. Satan tried his utmost to tempt Jesus to deny God as Satan had previously done with Adam and been successful. He tried to do with Jesus except that Jesus wasn't falling for his tricks. Furthermore, Jesus had come to the world for this task. To be the human being. To be the man who would not fall prey to Satan's tricks. He was born into the world in humble circumstances, but at the same time, he was born into a tremendously powerful position. He was in the line of David, the great king of Israel. He was honored by kings of the east. He was greeted with blessings and gifts. He was born as a king, as the promised Messiah, the one who would deliver God's people from sin and from death. He was the Messiah that God had promised, even to Adam and Eve, when he had said of the seed of the woman that he will crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent will strike his heel. Jesus had been born into the world for this very purpose, for the purpose of dying. He was the chosen one. He had come to do battle with Satan and he had battled him throughout his entire life in the temptation in the wilderness for sure. But every other time when he was tempted, when he was persecuted, when he was mocked, scorned, beaten, or abandoned. Those are the weapons that Satan uses. You might be familiar with some of those weapons. He continues to use them today to hurl them against God's children trying to take our our gaze, our eyes, off of our God. 
trying to get us to deny God. While Satan hurled every single one of them at King Jesus, he tried everything he could to cause him to deny God until he had him right there where he wanted him, dying under excruciating pain and agony and loneliness on the cross. Perhaps there, Jesus would deny God. But he didn't. Instead, having remained perfectly obedient throughout his whole life, having always reserved all glory for God, having remained the perfect son, King Jesus did the only thing that was left to do. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and he breathed his last. And with that, he did what Satan so desperately did not want to happen. He made atonement. He died on behalf of all God's people. All those whom God had chosen. All those who would put their trust in Him. He made atonement. He made, He restored harmony with God. He took away the sins and replaced it with peace and joy and blessing. Not the kind of temporary atonement that Israel had always been making through the years, through the animal sacrifices, the endless death. No, this atonement, this satisfaction for God's justment, uh, justice was final, complete, finished. And so was his victory over Satan. As he breathed his last, he won the final victory for all those who would call him king. He did it precisely through his death. That's why this Friday is good. Finally, we see that Jesus also delivered the slaves. He delivered the downtrodden, held in slavery to the fear of death. The result of Jesus' victory over the devil and through his victory over death is the deliverance of downtrodden slaves. Because the devil uses death to strike fear in the hearts of people. You see this all around. You see this in throughout the world in all the, the rituals that, that human beings create around death. You see it in every culture, these, these rituals and exercises that, that people must do in the face of death because they're afraid. Because death is scary. And they think by, by doing the right thing, by doing this ritual, they might, they might remove some of their fear, the fear that they have in death. There's a search for meaning in death. There's an unknown. Death is a fearful thing. Not only for those who don't know God. The Bible itself, God's Word, calls death the last enemy. It's scary. It's painful. It's difficult. It's still difficult even for believers. Satan still flings at us, throws against us his weapon of the fear of death. There's the death of loved ones and the, the loss that we feel 
even when they die in the Lord. There's still a relationship that's been broken. There's still the pain of seeing a loved one struggle in death. Death is hard. And there's the pain of seeing those die who die apart from the Lord. In which we hear the echoes of Satan's terrible victory cry. It's terribly, terribly hard to see that. And to deal with. To find meaning. And there are the deaths of those in difficult circumstances, in wars, in famines, in murders. All those who die in situations, circumstances that, that we can't explain or that, that we can't understand. And we're left with questions. And we're left with pain. These are all terribly hard realities. Death is still a reality. Death is still the last enemy. However, when faced with it, when afraid of it, there is only one place that we can look. And that is to our King. The one who himself faced death, who stared it down and defeated it. The one who tasted it, who consumed it for us. The one who experienced it in all its terribleness. And the one who, by dying himself, defeated death completely. And finally, only in him, only in King Jesus, can we find meaning and hope and comfort in death. And when we look in faith to Jesus Christ and grow in him, and in our head and our heart knowledge of, of what He did on the cross, on, on why this Friday is good, then the sting of death fades away. And we see that there is no fear in death because He has removed it. Paul captured it beautifully when he said, standing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and all that Christ had done for him. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For those who believe in Jesus Christ, who make him their king, death is an entrance to glory. Death is an entrance to blessings. Death is an entrance to the right hand of God. The God who defeated death. It's an entrance to the eternal presence of King Jesus, the conqueror of death. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.